Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unmuted Podcast. I'm your host, Bella Passi. Unmuted is a podcast where we host conversations on pressing issues in today's society, including things like social protest, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and reconciliation. We will host interviews with a diverse group of students from the PLNU community. Unmuted focuses on topics that may be considered too hard to talk about, but show that by having the conversation, we can start the change that is needed in these times. For today's conversation, we will be discussing the post-election results and how we move forward from it. With me, I have two guest speakers, Hannah Wald and Zab Dominguez. We're so excited to have Hannah and Zab here with us today as they share the importance of the election as well as why and how to have the conversation regarding it is significant. Hey guys, welcome, or I should say welcome back. Um, I'm so excited to have you both here again for a conversation today. Um, But before we jump into anything, before we talk about the topic, um, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves, you know, tell people a little bit about yourself and why you're here. Cool. So hi, everyone. My name is Hannah. I'm a junior at Point Loma. I'm a political science major and a public relations and a women's studies minor. And um, I'm happy to be here. Hey, guys. My name is Zab. I'm a senior at Point Loma. I'm a marketing major. Um, I also work at Moniker, so feel free to stop by for a <laughs> cup of coffee. That's all. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Okay, so funny thing, listeners want to know this, but we actually already had a conversation a week ago or two weeks ago talking about the election, you know, before we found out the results, why it was important to vote, all of those things. That episode won't be posted because we have some technical difficulties, but I think it was really nice to still have that conversation with both of you to like, get us in the right frame and the mindset to now be able to have this conversation today after we do know the results of the election and kind of just break it down a little bit and also, um, you know, integrate some of what we talked about last time into this conversation as well. Um, But yeah, so obviously if you don't know what I've, even though I've already said it, we're talking about the election and the results from the election today. Um, And really more so kind of just talking about, you know, our feelings about it what most people might be feeling about it (laughs) Um, and how we move forward, you know, with it as well. Um, So as always, my favorite part, probably everybody's favorite part is I give a little bit of historical context about, um, you know, what we're talking about today. And today that's actually going to be kind of talking just a little bit about what does the president actually do? What are the responsibilities? So people kind of know before we then enter into a conversation regarding who the new president is. So a little bit, how does uh, voting for president work in the U.S.? So in other U.S. elections, candidates are elected directly by popular vote, but the president and vice president are not elected directly by citizens. Instead, they are chosen by electors through a process called the Electoral College. The process of using electors comes from the Constitution. It was a compromise between a popular vote by citizens and a vote in Congress. Um, And then I want to talk a little bit about statistics um, from the 2016 election demographics, because I think it's important to talk about, um, to reflect on where we've come from and then now see where we're going to, or, in order to have that conversation more accurately. So 
Um, the analysis in this report uses post-election survey reports of the 2016 vote preferences conducted November 29th to December 12th, 2016, among those who were identified as having voted using official voting records. So that's where these sources and statistics are coming from. So women, a 61% majority of those who said they voted for Clinton were women, while Trump voters were more evenly divided between men and women. Whites constituted nearly 9 in 10, 88% of Trump supporters uh, compared with a smaller majority of 60% who voted for Clinton. Uh, Clinton's voters were younger than Trump's on average. 48% were younger than 50, compared with 35% for Trump. Among Clinton voters, 43 were college graduates, compared with 29% of Trump voters. And while non-college whites made up a majority of Trump's voters, 63% said they constituted only about a quarter of Clinton's 20... Oh, wait, sorry. I messed that up. While non-college whites made a majority of Trump's voters, which is 63%, they constituted only about a quarter of Clinton's 26%. Um, about a third of Clinton's voters, 32%, live in urban areas versus 12% among Trump voters. And by contrast, 35% of Trump voters said they were from a rural area among Clinton voters. 19% lived in a, a rural community. Um, let's see. One in five Trump voters, 20%, were white non-Hispanic Catholics compared with just 9% of Clinton voters. And black Protestants were 14% of Clinton's supporters, while almost no black pro uh, Protestants in the survey reported voting for Trump. So there's more statistics. I just want to throw a couple things out there in terms of how it pertains, you know, to like race, religion, sex, all of those things. And all of that's really just to say um, that we want to identify like a bunch of like all the people who make up, you know, these different parties that they're voting for and to be able now to like acknowledge certain people um, both on, I don't want to say the winning side and the losing side, but both who were in support of the winning candidate and who were in support of the candidate who didn't win um, and kind of just be able to, I don't know, identify with them a little bit more as we have this conversation. Um, and yeah, so kind of going off of just that and we're going to jump into more things after, you know, in terms of like research and stuff, but I want to talk about you guys first. Um, and so our, you know, listeners can kind of get to know you guys and where you're coming from with your perspectives in this. Um, so can you share um, a little bit, you know, about yourselves and how your personal experiences of your, um, you know, things you hold dear to you, your passions, your morals, your values, um, filter into the importance of you um, and how you voted. Yeah, so I'll go first. Um, I am one in two registered voters in my whole family. Um, my older sister and I are the only ones who can vote. Um, I think the perspective that I'm coming from, all of my family lives in Mexico, for one. So I have, like, a culturally diverse perspective, too. I grew up in Hawaii, and on top of that, I am also, like, the son of a lesbian immigrant Mexican woman and like she's the person who raised me while on top of that I also have a lot of different I think uh, political influences in my Mexican side of, of my family um, a lot of different people who have partaken in in elections and stuff like that in Mexico so there's definitely an influence in my family to participate in stuff like this but also there's a lot of factors that I have to take into account when I'm deciding, okay, who am I going to vote for? Um, 
what policies am I going to support, which propositions um, am I going to vote yes or no on, and how do they affect other people? And I think that's that's really my perspective is like, okay, I'm not, I'm, I am like one of two voters in my family, like two people who can vote. So when I am casting my vote, like I'm not just coming from a place of this is my vote. It's like really a place of like, okay, this is our vote. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. voting with myself, I'm voting with my community and I'm voting with my family. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, ultimately, yes, it is my vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I really feel the same way. I think I view my vote kind of similar to yours, that I try to look beyond my selfish desires and what policies would best benefit me. But I look at my friends. I look at my family. I look at the people who don't have what I have within the United States, and I recognize Mm -hmm. my privilege, and I try to go from there. And, um, yeah, just look beyond myself when it comes to policy, politics, voting, yeah, and just be aware of that. I went to a school that was uniquely, it was predominantly Asian. And so a lot of people were not, were immigrants, um, were not citizens of the United States. And so um, at a very young age, from seventh to 12th grade, I was very aware of um, the issues that specifically affected them. And I was aware like, oh, not everyone gets the benefits of being a citizen naturally born in the U S that I do. Um, and I'm looked at differently or they're looked at differently than me. And so, um, and policy affects us differently. And so I think that was a huge part in what contributed to me looking beyond myself when it comes to voting. Mm, Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. I think it's so important to like get to know you guys a little bit in order to be able to like understand your perspective in this conversation that we're going to have. Um, and kind of moving forward with that. So obviously results have been announced. Mm. Um, I know there's other things happening in the world, but as of right now, results have been announced. Um, and the democratic party nominees, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are now announced as the president elect and vice president elect. Um, so, how are you guys kind of feeling um, a little bit about this? Can you each describe a little bit, I guess, of your feelings as, you know, the election comes to, I'll say a close in air quotes for right now, um, <laughs> as we see the results? Yeah. Okay. So um, in our podcast, it's not going to be shared. I shared that I was less than excited and pleased with both candidates, which I think many people, whether you're independent or Republican or Democrat, were not pleased with these candidates. But I am um, relieved is the word that I would say when using um, that Biden and Harris were elected. Um, I'm very excited and proud as a women's studies minor um, that Kamala Harris was elected and is the first um, Afro-Asian, um, so many things. I know, just so many things. So many firsts um, and woman elected vice president. I'm so thankful um, and just excited. That sets such a precedent and is just so encouraging um, to have a woman in that position and in the pipeline um, just as a precedent for other women to see and um, be empowered by. Um, so I'm thankful that I was able and my vote was able to be a part of that part of history. Um, but I definitely know that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are far from perfect. They have um, 
many different things that are disputable, um, which we don't have to go into, but are um, I know we're all aware of. And so I think that as, um, I guess you could say a more liberal voter, I'm going to use my power and my voice to continue to um, push the policy that I think is best for everyone in the country. And I think um, I would start by local elections. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think relieved is a really good word. Just like, oh, I'm relieved that this is the outcome. Mm -hmm. I think beyond relief and, and I, I remember I I was actually outside of work. I was like wiping some tables and I just overheard a conversation from a couple of customers and they were like, oh, Biden won. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. And I opened my phone Mm -hmm. and I like have already Googled um, election results a million times. So it was already pulled up on my phone. I just reloaded it and, and there it was, it was like 284 to like 213 or 214. And I just, I don't know, like my old chest just felt like, like it opened up and I could breathe again. And I, I actually have seen a lot of posts and a lot of conversations and I've heard from different people who had the same experience of like, Oh, like I, I felt this huge like weight lifted off my shoulders Mm -hmm. and, and not to be dramatic, but like, that's how it felt. And I, I know I've, I can recall the only other time I felt this way is when, um, when my mom received her green card, Mm -hmm. I remember like, I was like, ah, I can breathe again. Mm -hmm. And it was just this like weight off my shoulders that I didn't realize I had been carrying for so long. And same with this. It's just like for four years, I feel like minorities all over, We've been carrying this weight on our shoulders of like, like what's next with this election? What's next with politics? Like, like where is my life on the line? Are my friends' lives on the line? Like, like I have friends who are on DACA and like this is an administration that has pushed against DACA mm. so strongly. And, and for, for like that moment, I could breathe for them too. Is like, oh, like they're okay. I'm mm. okay. My family's going to be okay. And, and there's an opportunity now for like my kids to be okay and, and, and all that stuff. It's just like, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. So I am really happy. Good. Um, I think what you said too is like probably what a lot of people, like you said, can relate to of this feeling of relief um, and feeling like they can breathe a little easier and mm-hmm. stuff and not have to stress as much about you know life circumstances like big decisions being made on their behalf and things like that um and in the same way I think a lot of people can also relate to you and how you felt um with everything I definitely I think I felt more like you did where I was talking to somebody I was like you know I'm relieved that it wasn't somebody else who got it Mm. and at the same time um I'm not super pumped about who is, you know, who is in office with Biden. Um, But also, like, I can only choose to focus on the positives, which is I'm happy that this was a win for women and women of color. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to celebrate that in terms of, like, the symbolism it holds, especially with, like, um, younger women and people, just people in general, men too, who get to, like, see that now um, and see that a barrier has been broken and stuff like that. Um, and at the same time, I think it'll be, I think we're all kind of like, what is the future going to look like now? Because it seems Mm. like, um, it seems like 
I think everybody, like, we really like extremes, <laughs> you know? So I think to see what this, um, what has been happening for the last four years is on such an extreme. So I think we're like, it's going to be such a different extreme. So I think um, in that sense, it's going to be really interesting. I think the world's kind of watching of like, what is the, like, what's the world going to look like now? What's like the future of this country going to look like in terms of, is it going to be a complete 180 or will it be gradual or will there be any change? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think only time will tell with that. But I do think I also felt, felt like a sense of relief in the sense of like, okay, like what are we going to look like moving forward? But like, I don't have to worry about certain aspects anymore that I disagree with on an individual level. <laughs> um, so we kind of talked about this also in the last episode about this, um, you know, idea of like technology and its impact, I think, on like our mental health and also just how we approach conversations around politics and things like that. Um, and we kind of talked about it more so in the span of leading up to the election with voting. Um but I think this is still such a relevant conversation and topic to have um, even after obviously the election's been done um, because politics will not go away, I think, in the foreseeable future. <laughs> um, and it's still going to be a hard conversation to have no matter what. Right. Um, so, you know, like living in this age of technology, this age of social media, um, we're so much more susceptible, I guess, to negativity that can surround the topic of politics. Um a lot of the time I feel like you hear more of the negative criticism part than you do hear the happy part of politics mm -hmm. um, or the successes are far and few between. It feels like at least sadly. Um, but how do you guys personally navigate, I guess, like preserving um, or maintaining your mental and emotional health in this era of social media while simultaneously, you know, like still remaining educated on what's happening in the world mm. I don't know like do you guys have you found that balance are you actively trying to find that balance are you not uh, <laughs> I feel like every day there's like just something new when it comes to technology there's never like there's never like I found the balance because you find the balance and then something tips the scale right like you know like maybe we felt like we found the balance with snapchat and then junior high like suddenly there's instagram and then and then now there's tiktok and like every time it's just like going to be something new i think for me like it's literally it's one i i have to always be aware that like these aren't people's real lives you know like i ran into somebody the other day at a coffee shop and we were hanging out and I was like, oh, like, I haven't seen you in so long. We literally hadn't seen each other for like two, three years. And I was like, but I feel like I keep up with you. And even just say, like, I feel like I keep up with you because I still follow you on Instagram and I still see what you're up to. And I was like, yeah, you're just one of those people that like, I like what you post and I just see you on Instagram all the time. Mm. Um, and that's not real life, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I just see, like, some photos that she posted of some trips that she's gone on, but, like, that's a real person, and she does her own thing, and she, like, does mundane things. And and I think that's for me is just, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm going to hop off. Mm. I'm going to hop offline. I'm going to be wherever I am. If I'm cooking, like... I'm not going to watch Netflix. I'm just going to cook. I'm just going to be like in that moment where I'm cooking. Mm -hmm. If 
if I'm sitting by the fireplace, I'm just going to sit by the fireplace and, and drink my coffee and like not scroll through Instagram. But it's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. I literally one time deleted all my social media to to become more active on LinkedIn. <laughs> and I was on LinkedIn all the time, guys. I was scrolling through LinkedIn all the time. It was so Absolutely. stupid. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, like I realized just how often like I go on social media just to just just to do it because it's mm-hmm. what I do. It's like, oh, like I it's just what I have. It's my normal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I don't, I don't know, like, like just, just yeah. being self-aware and knowing like, it, it, Hey, I, I spend too much time on social media, mm. I want to do something else, but also I'm a marketing major. Like I have a photography business and I want to be able to like find that balance Totally. and finding that balance is hard and it's something we're all doing. And, and some people will say, you know what, just like forget finding the balance and just like let it all go. Don't mm-hmm. be on social media. Some of us can't do that. So mm-hmm. keep trying to find that balance um, and read a book. Like don't <laughs> like don't don't stay educated based on social media. Like right. go read mm-hmm. some books. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very true. That's such I love what you said. Um just like don't rely on social media for your news or yeah, just as a source because it's so I talked about this in the last one, but I have a lot of critique with social media and um yeah, it just feeds you what you already um, like because then you'll click on it, you'll share it, and that makes um, them more money. So um, I have tried to find a balance. It's so hard, like Zab said, which is like so embarrassing, but I know we all go through it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but like even waking up in the morning, I've been trying, I'm like, okay, Hannah, like don't reach for your phone. Don't reach for your phone this morning. Me, it reaches for my phone. <laughs> and so it's just, it's so hard and it, I feel pathetic for it. But like, um, anyway, so going from the balance, how to move forward from that, what I've done is like dopamine fasting, even if it's for a short time. Mm. I'll like... Well, <clears throat> excuse me, not watch TV, not have any social media on. I know it's so necessary to be honest, especially if you have things like Instagrams to run or like Facebook pages or like emails that you need to write. I guess email, uh, you can debate if that's social media or not, but um, it's not fun social media. Um, I think it's fun to be honest. You like writing? I emails? love writing emails. <laughs> you write my emails. I hate writing emails. You <laughs> like writing emails too. I'm going to be real honest. Excuse writing me. a good email. Oh, no. I stare at my screen for like 10 minutes and I'm like, do I write to whom or to who? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> yeah. But um, so I think dopamine fasting is a great way to just get your mind out. I love what Zab said about like being present in your moment. I think that's one of the best things that you can do, especially like in politics is like mm. being present in the conversations that you're having. Like trying not to reach over your phone even is something that I've tried to do when having political conversations rather than being like, oh, let's see, like um, if I'm like in – a discussion with a conservative person who like is very supportive of Trump, like us not using our phones mm-hmm. and just um, staring each other in the eye and trying to really read rather than debate or just be right and trying to respect the other one, like the other person that you're talking to, I think is just such a better way to have a conversation, especially about politics. Um, yeah. yeah. So just being present in the moment, like you said, not watching Netflix while you're cooking and in politics conversations, not reaching for your phone and trying to use someone else's words um, and points to just make yourself feel better or smarter or right. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important. And being aware that social media is 
um, literally uses you, just like uses your attention, honestly. And so um, no matter how pretty or put together or informative that the infographics seem and, may- seem, and maybe they are accurate, um, do your own research. I love listening to podcasts mm. because um, I don't feel necessarily like inferior than the other person or feel like I have to prove myself. Totally. Because I... I'm listening to someone else and they're not going to like judge me or whatever. And so I think that's also another way to kind of have maybe not discourse, but expose yourself to other perspectives. I've also been listening to like even political podcasts, like um, non-political podcasts that talk about politics, I think are very interesting because they don't have like as much like heavy jargon or whatever that you have to sort through or like kind of that um, prestige that they have to maintain. Right. But for example, like Joe Rogan is more of like, I would say like a little, um, a little bit more conservative than I am. Mm -hmm. And so, um, trying to relate or just understand more of my conservative friends through that podcast has actually been helpful. Mm. Yeah. I love that. No, I think that's so true. I think there's so much power in like face to face, Mm. whatever it is, conversation. Um, and I mean, with both of you, like we all are in, you know, do like marketing stuff and things like that. So there is a necessity necessity, um, to like maintain a social media presence for your career and things like that. But I too, like I find myself all the time. I'm like, oh, this is becoming, I feel like a little too self-reliant on like social media and stuff. Um, And I feel like something I'm continuously having to ask myself is like, okay, is this like harmful or helpful to me, right? Mm. Great question. Well, the thing is that we do it even in the mundane. Like we... We have a hard time even just, like, I'm waiting for my friends at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, I'm not just going to sit here and stare. I'm going to go on my phone and totally. scroll through Instagram. Like, we can't even go to the bathroom without our phone mm-hmm. anymore. And it's just, like, we can't do anything mundane. Yeah. We can't just, like, walk from one spot of campus to another without, like, putting our earbuds in and just mm-hmm. having something to fill our brains. Totally. No. So yeah, I think just, yeah, like, I've never heard of a dopamine fast, but, like, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, even if you can do it <laughs> in little moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? definitely. I think, um, I think like, yeah, having such a self-reliance on this and I think you start when you lessen the ability to communicate face to face and like have, um, interaction that's not just like typing on a screen and then like waiting a bit for someone's reply. Cause I also think there's a part of it too, where like when you are communicating online or you're reading stuff online, um, and like you said, like we cre- like I like I create blog content, all the stuff for my jobs. It's very strategic and like what I'm doing because I'm like trying to appeal to a certain demographic and stuff, you know. So it's like everything is no matter what on social media, it's used for a specific purpose to appeal to somebody. Um, and I think with that, when you are communicating on social media or whatever it is, you have you don't get the same immediate verbal feedback that you do in conversations where it's an actual ongoing conversation. You can wait a couple of days to reply to somebody online. You can, you know what I mean? Things like that formulate responses where I think in conversations, it's like not perfect always, or it's like kind of messy, but it's like real a bit more and raw. And you really actually get um, to learn a bit more about somebody. And like you said, I love what you said about listening to podcasts that are like, um, like maybe more conservative podcasts that are not natural to like what you would like, um, how you would normally operate to like better understand someone. I think that's so smart. Um, and I feel like I find myself doing that actually a lot recently is listening to things that I know are like very 
opposite of what I am like usually about or believe, but kind of just to like expose myself. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to always just listen to the same stuff that I'm like, well, I, I know that. Like, I believe, you know, I mm-hmm. want to like try to expose myself to like everything to get a better perspective on what we're talking about. So I think this whole idea of what we've been talking about with social media, it's so true. And then you add in this element of politics to it and it just it blows it up to making it something that's so, um, such a quick trigger to talk about, I think, online. And then that translates to talking about it. It's now translated, I think, to talking about it in person. You know, um, having that, like, vol- some of the volatile responses and everything that's seen online, I think, is what's kind of created so much more tension now to having those conversations in person, how much more public and loud everything is. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, honestly, like, I'm kind of careful. Like, I'm pretty specific about posting stuff on my personal account when it comes to politics not because I don't believe in it but more so because I don't want anything to be misconstrued Mm. about it and I'd much rather have that conversation with somebody in person to talk about it um because I'm complicated I have different beliefs on a lot of different things and I'd rather be able to like talk about it and get them to know me through that than what I post online and that's just a personal preference um there's certain things I do post online too but yeah I think I like what you guys said I think like checking in being (laughs) self-aware which is hard to do sometimes but being self-aware um in terms of what's going to be harmful what's going to be helpful and also just like taking breaks fasting like you said Mm. that's so important and it's probably a good it's probably really telling when you try to fast and you're like, oh, I am, I am struggling. This is way harder than I thought it would be, which I think like I've had those moments where I'm like, this is concerning how like much I rely on social media or just like stimulation of my brain. So I don't have to think about other things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and imagine all the things you're not thinking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm kind of like, if I like devoted all the time that I'm like, do like, listen, like, you know, like, exposed to my social media or just listening to things or like whatever like if I devoted that to like thinking about actual things in my work or doing something I could be like so good like I could be a super like have superpowers you know what I mean if I like devoted the most amount of time that I do to like actually working and stuff which to my bosses I do work a lot I'm not saying I don't work I do devote a lot of time but you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. tap into that power Bella works a lot. I swear. <laughs> My boss Sam is like, uh, we need to talk after this. Um, anyways, I was going to, I wanted, this is something I really wanted to bring up in this conversation because I think we should acknowledge we might, we kind of probably all have similar beliefs mm. on the scale of yeah. politics. That's true. Um, and so I want to, even though we don't have someone here as much, maybe to represent that side um, I want to acknowledge that side and kind of talk about them in terms of factoring into this election. Um, so what can you guys, I don't know, what can you guys say, you know, to who people whose preferred candidate um, did not end up winning the election um, and, you know, might be feeling frustrated, hopeless, um, you know, and or less inclined to par- participate in future conversations regarding politics. Um, and I ask you guys this because I know you might have probably felt those similar things in 2016 mm. and stuff. So I don't know, tapping maybe back into that kind of, what can you say to them in those moments that they might be having now? 
Um, I would just say that you're not alone because um, in 2016, although I didn't have the amount of political knowledge that I do now, I was still felt for my friends and felt like it was a huge loss. And it was pretty quiet on our campus for a while. We were just kind of just sad, to be honest. And so um, trying to put myself in the other party or support of um, the not winning candidate in their shoes, I think I would just try and encourage them with, you're not alone. This happens often. Everyone goes through this. Both sides go through it. Um, I would still encourage them to remain critical of um, the people in charge, and um, but also just to listen to the other, the other side. But just like, I like to think of it kind of like as a breakup. Like after the breakup, you have to acknowledge mm. the relationship is over, kind mm. of. You have to acknowledge that Joe Biden is the elect president. I mean, you can, there's a lot of debate with the... Um, ballots and everything. If you think that um, something is wrong, go for it. Critique, like critique, because I honestly don't doubt that there has been something right. that happened. I, you never know where your vote goes, to be honest. No. You can't. It's super hard. And so if that's what you're about, do that. And, um, but yeah, just know that you're not alone um, and work locally, like work locally, talk about politics, tell people why you think um, that the issues and the policies that you were voting or supporting Trump for are important to you. Um, continue to have discourse conversations. Um, yeah. And I guess promote your ideas um, locally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd say definitely don't, don't like feel hopeless about any policy that you're trying to push. Um, if, if there's something you really support and you want to keep supporting it, like do it. Um, I definitely think that after in the last election, after Trump won, I think there was like, a, like Hannah said, there was like silence. There was a little bit of silence. Like people were just sad. There was some silence. And I'd say like, that time of silence, like political silence, was just a good place for me to like think and and grow and really develop like my political values. Um, the last four years have honestly been a lot of political growth in, in, in my values. So if you are like a young college student, you're entering college, you just you feel like you were on the losing side of an election. Then, then definitely take like these next four years as a time to to put into place those values and like like really really look into the the current like president and vice president elect and, and keep pushing them, keep challenging them, and, and hold them accountable. And and like Hannah said, like critique them. You know, mm-hmm. I will be critiquing them. I'll be holding holding them accountable. So like, yeah. do the same. Definitely don't be silent. I think there was. And has been um, a conversation on conservative students and there being a difficulty on speaking up, that Mm -hmm. it's difficult for conservative students to voice their opinions. I think that's a very valid thing to feel. Mm -hmm. It's valid. Like, Like I have felt that way where it's like, oh, like I don't know if... If when when I'm around a lot of my conservative friends, like I don't know if they want to hear what I have to say, mm-hmm. 
and I don't know if it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And and that makes sense if if you're around a, a more like liberal atmosphere that it might be difficult for you to voice your opinions. I I would challenge you to like still have those conversations. Um, I know you guys wouldn't know this, but in the last podcast we talked a lot <laughs> about how to have conversations and. I think the consensus was like have them and figure it out. <laughs> and and I mean that like have those conversations, figure it out. Don't feel like you can't be a part of those conversations anymore. Um if you're a student at Point Loma, like feel free to like run into me on Kathleen and be like, "Zab, I want to know why you voted for this candidate and I want to know what policies like were on the line for you and I'll talk to you about it and you can talk to me about the policies that you voted for." And, and those are like normal conversations that you should keep on having mm-hmm. that that's just part of, I think it's our civic duty to like have those conversations and figure out what our values are. Totally. No, I totally agree. I think, yes, like I agree to all of it. Obviously when you have those conversations, don't be like zab, what the heck, like approach it <laughs> from like a place of like respect yeah, and sure. things like that. But yeah, have I'd be really confused if you do that. Yeah. On <laughs> also maybe like introduce yourself yeah. first. And Who are you? Like yeah. <laughs> Um, and Zab, you actually touched on something that I want to go into deeper of having those conversations and kind of what that looks like. Um, and I want to read something kind of that talks about why it's so hard to talk about politics in the first place. So any divisive topics, issues that are polarizing or on which there's no general society wide consensus can evoke feelings of anxiety and threat. That is simply considering these topics appear uh, to people on guard. Attitudes linked to moral values can contribute to social distancing. In other words, if someone considers their position on an issue to be a question of right versus wrong or good versus evil, they're less likely to want to interact with a person who disagrees on that issue. Through geographical and psychological processes, we can find a lot of reasons why people don't talk to one another. There's a growing polarization of voters around the country concerning separation between rural and urban areas, implying that we only talk with people from the same background in a clash between generations. So I think we all can probably agree that we've encountered people um, who maybe grew up much differently than us, who might tend to then also have different beliefs than we have. Um, and vice versa, I think it changes as well. But I think those are definitely good predictors or indicators of, you know, common patterns throughout. Um, so with that, you kind of touched on this already, Zab. And you're right, like we didn't have, I think in our last conversation, really a set answer of like, this is how you have this conversation and this is how it like guarantees to work out well and everyone goes home happy. Um, that's not going to happen. But I kind of want you guys to share a little bit more on like, you know, what are some helpful practices that you have found or are trying to find um, that people, you know, can kind of implement into their life when it comes to discussing and viewing politics and all the emotions that coincide with it? Um, and I think even more so because we're talking, you know, we're really speaking to students especially here. Um, and they mentioned like one of the biggest things too is generations, right? Different generation gaps kind of equate to difference of opinion sometimes. Um So I also want to like open that up more specifically into what mindset should students have um, when entering into those conversations with their family members, um, you know, who believe differently than them. Because I think that is something that a lot of students, especially who go away to college and come back, um, 
might find themselves in a very, you know, common situation. So, yeah, I don't know. What are your guys' experiences with it? What can you kind of say to speak on that? Yeah, so I grew up, at least with my dad. My dad is very heavily conservative, and so I and I am um, a little bit more liberal, and so we have many, many conversations. And my dad is an extremely intelligent, smart man, very confident, very assertive, and I also... um, have grown probably from him to be the same way, but on the opposite side of the spectrum. So we have a lot of heated conversations. And in the beginning, um, it was really difficult because I did not come with the right perspective. I just wanted to be right. I wanted to be smarter than him because every, I don't know about you guys, but I would love to be smarter than my parents. And so, yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And so I came with the wrong perspective. I was just like, you're wrong. Like you've been teaching me all these wrong things things throughout my life but I like found the truth and it's like honestly it's so hard to find the truth in politics there's always factors that you don't know and so what I've personally learned is hopefully this can help anyone who on either side is coming to the table of discourse knowing your priorities and with respect so in terms of priorities I'm oh and also what's effective Mm. So in terms of priorities, I think if you're talking to a family member, what would you rather maintain? Do you want to maintain your relationship with them or do you want to just prove you're right? Or, um, yeah, basically I hope you would, um, prefer the first of maintaining your relationship with them. And so that's going to change the tone of the way that you talk to them, how you speak, not laughing. I found myself laughing sometimes, which is so disrespectful in discourse. And so try not to laugh because that makes the other person feel belittled and you wouldn't want someone laughing at you as well, even if you are or the other person is wrong or you think they're saying something that doesn't make sense. Um, In terms of effectiveness, know what's effective. Yelling is not effective. If you don't know that yet, I'll just tell you right now from personal experience, yelling is not effective. Something that I think about that may be a little bit off topic, but pertains is like, if you think about Christians who um, go outside of concerts or you're holed up, like you're going to hell signs, like that is not the most effective way of like converting people to Christianity if that's your thing. And so um, a better way is through relationship. I think that is really how, if you really, if your objective is to change someone's mind or or open them up to your perspective, it's going to be through relationship. It's going to be through building a bridge with them, connecting with them, relating with them, showing them that you're listening to them and willing to understand them rather than just push your beliefs um, or tell them that you are right or that your party is right. And so just to reiterate, I would say coming to the table with respect, knowing your priorities and knowing what's um, an effective way to have political discourse. Mm. Definitely. All of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think we do too often like come into a conversation just wanting to be right. And I mean, like, who doesn't want to be right? You know, like, Mm. like, I want to be right. But I think what Hannah said about valuing like your relationship with someone more than being right, Mm. super important. And like, like for me, sometimes it's with my roommates. Like I have conservative roommates and we have these conversations and it's just like, I I would way, way rather like have a good relationship with my roommate and enjoy living together and have fun together and be able to go on trips and camping and stuff than to be right about a political opinion. Um, 
when having these conversations, I think it's so important to be critical of yourself. Mm. Like in the moment, like be thinking, be try try your best to be self-aware of how what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, are you slouching? Are you like sitting up? Are you responding? Are you looking this person in the eye? Are you reaching for your phone constantly? Like Hannah said earlier, like, are you looking up mm. what your response is gonna be to what they're saying before you even process what they're saying? Um and these are just things that you should be paying attention to. Like, are you are you laughing? It's like I I have laughed at someone when they're telling me their opinion, and it's just like, yeah, like maybe their opinion was super dumb, and I thought it was funny that they would even think something like that. But I would be so mad if somebody laughed at me while I'm telling right. them something that's serious, right? And that I seriously believe. It, it's just like it generally like a golden rule go to like treat someone in conversation the way you want them to treat you in conversation and like you're you're not like in court you know you're not litigating like you're you're not in a debate you're having a discourse like have that discourse don't don't pull apart their arguments so that you can like fit it into yours and be right Mm-hmm. They just actually have that conversation. Figure out what your objective is in that conversation. Are you trying to win? What are you trying to win? Mm-hmm. Or are you just trying to learn? Mm. And I think in political conversations, especially especially now, even as we were talking about some some people who are now on the, on the losing side of an election, like how do you enter those conversations? Enter those conversations wanting to learn, mm. like for both both ends, like. I had to talk to a lot of my conservative friends in a place of like, okay, like I want to learn why you even believe that. Mm-hmm. Or I want to learn like why you wouldn't support this or like why you wouldn't like want to go to this protest and stuff like that. And honestly, like those are the conversations that have carried the most growth for me is when I walk into it saying, okay, I want to learn. Like I don't just want to, like I, I know I don't agree with you already. Like we don't have to have the conversation of like, what do you think? Do I agree with you? I know I don't. So, like, I just want to understand and learn why. Mm. Why is your opinion that? And what is the context of your opinion? Like, what is your background that has led you to have this opinion? And so often you'll find that, like, some opinions are reasonable. You know, like, oh, like, I don't agree with you, but I can now, like, see why why you believe that Mm -hmm. and I don't agree with you still Mm -hmm. and I love you and I care about you but I understand how you got there yeah and it allows me to empathize with them as a person and respect them as a person because they found their way to their own value Mm -hmm. and I can only hope that if, if it's something that affects me personally like if it's a policy that affects me personally I can only hope that because I was so willing to enter this conversation and learning that they're going to reciprocate and now want to learn from me too. And I'll tell you what, like that's so often has been the case. Like so often I'll have like my friends like, okay, Zab, like what has been your experience as a brown person in America? Right. And it's like, when somebody asks me that question, it's like, whoa, okay. Like let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. But if I if I am unwilling to enter conversations with people who disagree with me in a place of learning, then how can I expect them to do the same for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard because so often those issues are so personal and so hurtful, and some of those policies are painful. And it's like how how like I know you disagree with this policy that is painful to me, 
how do I learn from you? <laughs> that's hard. That is, that's very hard. And I think, I like what you said, especially about like, are you going into a conversation trying to win or trying to learn? Because that's such a big difference. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll make the difference. The totally. Um, I feel like something I always try to do, because I'm similar to you where I, my dad, it definitely falls more on the conservative side and I don't as much. And so having those conversations is always, um, I think super important in life to have also taught, teaches me a lot, but it's also like really hard to do. Um, but I think something I've tried to adopt is I'm not going in trying to change you and convince you to change your mind. I'm going in trying to make you understand or make you, um, see who I am and why I believe that. So it's not me trying to change your views, but it's me just trying to express, um, why I believe this or why I believe the way that you, I do and what you do with that is up to you and stuff because it's too much pressure to try to change somebody and things like that. I can't do that. I'm just like, you don't, you're only in control of yourself. It's hard enough, like figuring out what you believe. Totally. On, like helping someone else. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think both of what you guys said of like how you approach that conversation, even in like, like the things you guys said of like, you don't even, you might not even think about it laughing or like checking your phone. Like you might not, your intention might not for that to be disrespectful, but no matter what that is, that is disrespectful to the person and stuff. So just like making those tiny changes, I think can make such a difference in the quality and the outcome of that conversation for both parties. Yeah. Um, so I have one last question for you guys. Um, and this is something that we asked in the last one, but I think actually this holds more weight now being able to ask this after the results of the election. Um, so, you know, the evolution of American voting rights over the past 244 years has shown how far we've come as a nation. Um, do we wish it would have been faster? Probably, but we have made progress. Um, would you say as a nation, you know, we've made it, I put that in air quotes, um, we've made it there, or do you think, you know, we still have more to overcome? Um, yeah, I'm curious to see what you guys, what your guys' opinion is with that. So we definitely haven't made it. I think the majority of us, even if you think America is great, which it has so many benefits of like freedom and stuff, um, I don't think I would say that we made it, um, especially the climate, the political climate of this era just makes it so obvious um, that we haven't made it, that certain groups are disenfranchised. And even if you, um, maybe you personally haven't experienced that and so maybe are not aware, but I feel like now with technology, you have to be aware that that's a real thing and that um, policy and that there's like systemic um, disenfranchisement. And so, um, yeah, we're not, all equal and I'm not saying that like of course life isn't fair but I think um the thing to recognize is that we politically and systemically have made life unfair which is not what politics is about and so I think um trying to correct that is a really hard thing to do but I think um why not try mm -hmm. um so um yeah I'm thankful that um, the president-elect and the vice president-elect are willing to try and do acknowledge um, that we have not made it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think we've made it is like such a nirvana statement. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think we've made it. <laughs> um, and I don't think it'd be healthy for us to think that we have made it. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine if, like, the founding fathers had decided that they made it in mm-hmm. 1776. They were like, we made it. We did it. It's like You're welcome. It's like, no, you didn't. And they didn't settle for that, you know? And, and you know, like, um, um, the civil rights movement in the 1960s, like, they didn't settle for that. They weren't like, okay, that's it. We made it. Like, no, mm-hmm. they didn't, and they didn't settle. And I think it would be so disheartening for me if because the Democrats won an election that we're like, we made it. And it's like, w- to what? To 2021? Like, sure, we made it to 2021. Like, but there's so much to do. There's so much work to do. And, like, now, now that the Democrats do have, like, the White House, okay, like, get to work. And and we haven't made it. We're not going to make it for a long time, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So just, like, yeah, be content. And, and I love my country. I mm-hmm. do. I love, like, the freedom that I have here and the liberties that I have here. And I've recognized the privilege that I have as, like, a man, too, mm-hmm. in our country. And being able to look at those things and say, like, I'm just going to settle with what we have. Like, that's so boring. Mm. Like, don't settle. Mm. There's so many things you can get involved with and so many good things you can be doing. And 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 for me as a Christian, like, to be willing to say, like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm going to settle for this. Like, even imagine if I settled with my relationship with Christ. You know, mm. if I was like, oh, like, what I have here is good. Like, I made it. God, I think we're good. <laughs> like no, Let's call no healthy day. pastor would agree with me yeah. and say like, yeah, you did. You made it. Like, no, they would be like, no, you didn't. And the same is for like us politically and with our country is just like for as long as we're here, yeah. we haven't made it. And we're going to keep working to set up the next generation mm-hmm. so that they can keep working to set up the next. And like, that's just, yeah. honestly, I feel like that's the American dream. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. No, very well said. And I think you touched on something so important that I feel like I hear a lot by, you know, by us wanting to grow or challenge our country doesn't mean we don't appreciate the country we live in at all. You know, like I can still love my country and love where I live and value the privilege I have growing up here, being able to speak what I like, speak my mind and things like that and still be able to say, but we can do better and like, let's move forward from that and like, let's still keep growing. Yeah. And I mean, you take care of the things that you love, you know, mm-hmm. like, like if you like your plants in your house, mm-hmm. you're going to water them and you're going to, you know, make sure they're getting enough sunlight. Totally. You're going to prune them where it needs to be pruned. And like, that's just, that's just life. You mm-hmm. take care of the things you love. And, and if you, if you love your country, like you're going to challenge it to be better. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think when we talk about this thing of making it, which like, yeah, like you said, we're, do we ever actually make it? I don't think we're ever going to make it because um, we can always keep you know, pushing and growing. Um, and I think something that also should be acknowledged is like we won't be able to make it or like, cr- like do that in one presidential you know, term. Yeah. We won't be able to do it in two presidential terms and we won't really be able to do it through presidents alone. It's, it's up to like us as people, as humans, as individuals to live out that and start pushing those things as a collective to like actually evoke change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's 
important, especially now for all of us to remember in this time when we find out election results that at the end of the day, it's up to us as um, citizens, but also just as humans to create the change that we want. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really result in one singular person to make that change. I feel like we also need to stop thinking in like these four year interval mm -hmm. when a lot of people in office are like, they have like 10 year plans. They have like 15 year plan mm -hmm. and we're stuck in this like four year plan setting. And it's just mm -hmm. like, that's not how other people are thinking. And totally. I think it actually encourages you to do more like local politics mm -hmm. when you start realizing like, oh, these are like long-term things. Right. This isn't just like one presidential term. This is like three. Totally. And yeah, and yeah that makes a difference too. No, I completely agree. Um, thank you guys both again for having this conversation yeah. with me. Um, every time, like every time, this is the second time, but <laughs> I like, I've learned so much every time and I really value these conversations and I think they're so important to have, um, all around, no matter, you know, what your beliefs are, being able to have these conversations is so essential to us moving forward. Um, but we're going to wrap up before we go. Do you guys have anything that you guys would like to promote at all? Yeah. So um, I'm the president of BREAK, which stands for Beauty, Revival, Equity, Action, and Knowledge. It's the um, Gender Equality Club on campus. And basically... You can follow our Instagram for all of the events um, that we have. And so, yeah, that's at PLNU Break. Um, we're under the multicultural organization, a mosaic that puts on this podcast. So, yeah, check us out. Yes, definitely. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've already heard of mosaic. But, like, if you are on the line about getting involved in a club, if you don't feel like you fit the mold for like a mosaic club, uh, go, go hang out with people. It's really fun. Um, yeah. Yes. Make sure you're keeping in touch with us. Yes, please do. And go check out Moniker because that works there. So I do Moniker. <laughs> go get a coffee if you want it. Yeah, order from me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. And I really look forward to hopefully speaking with you guys again in the future. Thank you for listening to our podcast and supporting us and supporting season one. Stay tuned for when we come back in a couple months with season two. Until then, be sure to stay safe and we'll see you soon. Take care. <laughs>